0: The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus the Liberating King and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So I actually did have an interesting experience with my 15-year-old daughter this last Thursday night. Last Thursday night there was the Living Water Gala, and if you've been around Ecclesia for a while, you will know about Living Water and bringing clean water to places in the world that don't have it and our long partnership Um, with them. And you'll hear even more about that as the seasons change and we move toward Advent. And so the big gala, the yearly annual gala was this Thursday night. And since my wife had to take our youngest daughter to one of her last volleyball events, um, my oldest daughter, our 15-year-old was my plus one. She had a test the next day. And so we kind of excused ourselves a little bit early. And so we're having this incredible conversation. What I think is this incredible father-daughter conversation on our drive home. And so from downtown to where we live with no traffic is about 25 minutes. And I'm enjoying this time with my daughter um, when she gets a FaceTime phone call. Is that what they're called? Like that would you call a FaceTime? Is that a phone call? I don't know the difference. But she gets one of these while we're in the car. And it's her friend who lives in spring. Now, this girl who's a friend of hers in so many ways uh, was an answer to prayer for us for a couple of years ago. Um, they met at camp and they hit it off right from the beginning. And they're the same age, and she's also biracial, and they spent a lot of time together. The last couple of years, they've gone to multiple camps and retreats together. Um, they spent a lot of time together in the summer. And so she called while we're in the car, in the middle of this conversation, and even though it's this beautiful father-daughter conversation, my daughter takes the call. And as she, um, she turns on her phone to take this call, the first thing she says is, hi, I'm riding in the car with my dad, which is like universal teenager for, let's not talk about all the stuff we normally talk about. My dad's in the room, like my dad is here with me. And so I'm not completely stupid. So I kind of pick up on, I kind of pick up on the cue and I say, yeah, she's with her dad, which I think would signal to her to say something like, I'm with my dad, having a really great conversation. I should call you back. That's not what they did. They just kept talking. And I am quite certain that this is not the conversation that they envisioned having, that she envisioned having when she called my daughter. So they just had a different conversation. And I felt like this was the strangest conversation ever (laughs) because it wasn't a conversation. They just started talking back through all of their old text and attachments to texts that they had shared with each other over the last two years and it dawned on me listening to this this conversation is only about other conversations like this is about previous conversations And to them, it seemed like this was the greatest thing they could be doing in that moment. Like they are telling these stories, going back and forth. They're laughing, like laughing to the point of tears, going back through all of these conversations. And I said, teenagers really are brain deficient. (laughs) Because they are just having a conversation about other conversations. And right at that moment, where I was being super judgy about my kids, I remember that most of my conversations with my friends are conversations about previous conversations. They are recounting of previous conversations. Now my excuse is that my closest friends, like we've been close friends for like 25 years, y'all have known each other for two. We got a lot of track to cover, and we're getting to that stage where not everybody has the kind of memory that we used to have, and we need to be reminded of conversations and other events. But that's the way that human beings, that's the way we talk. It's the way we connect. And what they were doing, and what I do with my friends, and I would bet what you do when you're with people whether they are old friends or someone that you've just met that you're getting to know for the first time, I bet when you're together with people, whether you're at a family reunion or having coffee, you're in your small group, that you tell stories. That if you were to step back and look at your discourse through time, most of the time, You're telling stories, stories that you've heard, stories that you like. You're listening to other people's stories. We are people who are wired for story. And when you get to know someone, when you first start to experience someone, the way that we do that is through stories. Have you thought very much about how much of your time is spent consuming stories, novels, television shows, movies. I mean, isn't that, isn't that why you binge watch? Because you get caught up in the story? Much of our lives, most of our lives is spent around storytelling. Jonathan Jotzel in his book, The Storytelling Animal talks about human beings this way. He says, we are as a species addicted to story. Even when the body goes to sleep, the mind stays up all night telling itself stories. And we're always telling stories. It's the reflex of the human heart, the reflex of human connection. And the reason that that's important for you, the reason that's important for me Is that i want to suggest to you that you will never understand your life you will never understand your life with god until you understand and can tell your story and it's that in the telling of our story of what god has done where he has led us both the good and bad, the peaks and valleys of our story. That's where we discover the truth and what God has led us to, that you are fundamentally and functionally wired for story. And there are parts of your life right now that you don't understand. There are behaviors that you've done, acts you've committed, And you don't understand why you have done them why you said that thing why you went to that place why this particular thing is important to you why when she says that when he does this that's hurtful to you and the reason that you're confused about that the reason we don't understand those things is because we don't understand our story and the more you understand your own story even though it seems like something that should be completely natural, the more you understand your own story, the more your own life will make sense. And the more you will have to share with the world around you. And so if you've been at Ecclesia for the last couple of months, you know that we're in a series talking about people from Christian history, important figures who have meant a lot to the church, and who point us in the direction of where we want to go and the people that we want to be. And one of the people I want to introduce you to is this man, Theodore Dostoevsky. Now, Dostoevsky is unlike anyone else that we have talked about. He's not a pastor, he's not a preacher, he wasn't a theologian. He was a writer, a novelist, and he was a Russian writer. And he is exactly what you would expect a Russian writer to be. Uh, he was constantly, like all writers, running behind on deadlines, procrastinating. For the writers in the room, they will know this. A writer likes to do everything else before writing. Like, the thing that writers wanna do least of all is write. The room is perfect, the temperature's perfect, the desk is in line, and that's Dostoevsky. But more than that, he was disheveled. And even though he was an aristocrat, um, had this very alone, lonely life because he was so unkept most of the time. He was also an alcoholic and a gambler. Matter of fact, every time that he made a little bit of money, he wasted it on alcohol and gambling. There was a point in his life where he was so broke that he couldn't afford the postage to send in a completed manuscript of a novel. And then his life changed. He was arrested. He was arrested by Tsar Nikolai I. Nicholas I arrested him for treason. And the sentence that he handed down for treason was death. But it didn't come quickly. Dostoevsky spent eight months in prison waiting to be executed. And then one night, completely out of the blue, he and others were rounded up and they were taken into the yard to be executed by a firing squad. Now, here's the fascinating thing. Nicholas I never actually intended to execute Dostoevsky. He had this great plan that he was gonna get them all lined up, the firing squad was gonna be in place. And that's exactly what they did. And right as the firing squad was getting ready to go through their whole ready, aim, fire routine, a rider came in on a white horse with a notice of commutation. They were spared the death penalty. This was so incredibly shocking for the men who were about to be executed that one of them died that night just from the euphoria of it. And Dostoevsky spent that entire night in his cell singing. Well, in a couple of months, He was shipped off to another prison in Siberia. And when he got there, he met a woman whose husband was also a prisoner in Siberia. And she, along with a group of other women, had decided that God's call on their life was to be with, to visit with prisoners. And she gave him a copy of the New Testament. And Dostoevsky considered this copy of the New Testament his most precious life gift. And this woman had virtually memorized the entire New Testament, and that's exactly what Dostoevsky did while he was in prison. It was the only book allowed at the time in Russian prisons. And he has poured over it again and again and again until he memorized it and it became part of who he was. And this is evident because if any of you have ever had the great time-consuming and frustrating task of reading any Dostoevsky, you will know that all of his novels are about the same thing, grace and redemption. All of Dostoevsky's novels, all of his stories, are actually just his story told time and time again. And what's important about that for you is that when you open up your Bible and you read the New Testament, there are lots of sermons in the New Testament. Over and over again, the apostles, the disciples are telling people about who Jesus is and about what God is up to in the world. And the overwhelming majority of all of those sermons, they aren't, here's point one, point two, point three, here's section A, subsection B, here's outline one, two, three. They're not didactic in that way. The overwhelming majority of those sermons are men and women telling their story of encounters with Jesus that this is what their life was. This is what was happening. And here's an encounter I had with Jesus. Those are the sermons of the scriptures. That's how the scriptures come to us. That's what the first disciples did when someone had a question about who is this Jesus or why do you believe this or why are you doing that? They would say, this is my story of encountering Jesus. One of my favorite examples of this is in Acts 26. In, in Acts 26, the apostle Paul has been arrested and he kind of works his way up through the judicial system there. and He finally has an audience with King Agrippa. And he says, King Agrippa, the reason that I've been arrested is because I have hope. And I didn't used to have this hope. And the reason that I'd not, I didn't have this hope before is because these Christians believed in something ridiculous. They believe that people walk out of tombs after they're dead. As a matter of fact, I persecuted the church. Like, I was on the other side of this. And then the Apostle Paul says this. On one occasion, I was traveling to Damascus, authorized and commissioned by the chief priest to find and imprison more of his followers. It was about midday, Your Excellency, when I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the noonday sun, shining around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground in fear, and then I heard a voice. The words were in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When you kick against the cattle prods, you're only hurting yourself. I asked, Lord, who are you? And the Lord answered, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Get up now and stand upright on your feet. I have appeared to you for a reason. I am appointing you to serve me. You are to tell my story and how you have now seen me and you are to continue to tell the story in the future. I will rescue you from your Jewish opponents and from the outsiders, for it is to the outsiders I am sending you. It will be your mission to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. This is so that they may receive forgiveness of all their sins and have a place among those who are set apart for a holy purpose through having faith in me. So Jesus appears to Paul and he says here's what I want you to do I want you to tell my story and how you have seen me how you have seen me listen to what Jesus doesn't ask Paul to do Jesus doesn't ask Paul to tell people how other people have seen Jesus, but how you have seen me. And Paul and Luke are the most educated writers in the New Testament, and what they do over and over, time and again, is they tell of their encounters with Jesus, how their life was before Jesus, what this encounter was like with Jesus, and the change because of Jesus. And it's not just Paul. In 1 John, the apostle John starts this way. He says, we want to tell you about the one who was from the beginning. We have seen him with our own eyes, heard him with our own ears, and touched him with our own hands. This one is the manifestation of the life-giving voice, and he showed us real life, eternal life. We have seen it all, and we can't keep what we've witnessed quiet we have to share it with you. We are inviting you to experience eternal life through the one who was with the Father and came down to us. What we saw and heard, we pass on to you so that you too will be connected with us intimately and become family. Our family is united by our connection with the father and his son, Jesus, the anointed one. And we write all this because retelling this story fulfills our joy. Retelling the story. Not of what I read somewhere or what I heard someone say about or what I read someone blog about or this guy on Twitter that I follow. There's this preacher that I really like that I watch on YouTube. The call of the gospel is for you and I to share our encounter with Jesus, which makes sense because you can't actually share someone else's encounter with Jesus. And the reason that's important is because I suspect that in your life, that God has brought people into your life, whether they're your family or friends or coworkers, someone that you know um, just from living and being around who you suspect needs to know Jesus, to know the reason for your hope, and you walk up to the line oftentimes, and you say, you know what, I should say, I should tell, I should let them know about, and you stop, because a voice whispers, well, you don't know enough. Or what if they have a question that you don't know the answer to? Or what if they bring up that time that you did that thing? Or or what if they remember what you were like in high school or college? Please, God, I hope they don't remember what I was like in college. And so we pass them along. Hey, this girl leads my small group, or you could talk to one of my pastors, or you could read this book. And all the time, the witness of Scripture has always been that if you want to change the world, it is as simple as telling your story with all of the bumps and bruises and all of the hills and valley to just tell your story. Because we are storytelling animals. We are wired for story. And isn't it true that the times that you have been most moved, been most impassioned by something, is because there was a story that got a hold of you and wouldn't let go. In Matthew 13, the disciples come to Jesus and they said, "Um, Jesus, you're kind of different from other rabbis. Why do you teach in parables? And Jesus says, because I know how people are made. And you know this too. If you walk up to somebody and you've got A bunch of verses or a bunch of data a bunch of facts and you just start throwing them at them that there's something about that just just raises people's suspicions and all of the walls come up and that doesn't happen when you encounter a true story eugene peterson says to tell the truth but to tell it slant and stories have a way of coming at us in ways that we don't expect and your story god wants to use your story your unique story To change the world in ways that no one else's story could. And this is the reason when you read the First Testament, that that is a collection of stories, that the Jewish faith and the Christian faith, what we have at the bottom of all of those, at the root of all of those, is a collection of stories. And this is why you need to become a storyteller and why we need to be reminded of people like Fyodor Dostoevsky. It was Dostoevsky who said, how could you live and have no story to tell? And this is your reminder that God has done an incredible work in your life, is doing an incredible work in your life, and you have a story to tell. Because all of Dostoevsky's stories are fundamentally his story. So if you were ever forced at gunpoint to have to have read Crime and Punishment. Crime and Punishment is about a man who really thinks that he's better than everybody else. Very much like Dostoevsky who was an aristocrat and thought that he was better than everybody else. And this man thinks that he lives on a different moral plane, that he's superior to everyone, and that everything should be open to him. All options in the world should be open to him. So, he commits two murders just for the experience of it. And it sends him spiraling, as you suspect that it might. And he finds redemption from a converted prostitute who shows him grace and redemption. And maybe you've read The Idiot. And the idiot is about a man who has rejected all of society's conventions about what's good and proper and right and wrong, because he can see what's full of virtue and what doesn't have virtue in it. And he's got eyes to see beyond his cultural moment. And so the way that he lives in the world seems to the people around him like he's an idiot because he just doesn't get what everybody else gets. And the final scene of the idiot, He forgives the man who has murdered the woman that he loves, revealing the profundity of grace and redemption in a world of nihilism and retribution and violence. It's in the idiot that Dostoevsky says that incredible line as you've probably heard someplace else, that beauty will save the earth. This is uh, my copy of The Brothers Karamazov. The Brothers Karamazov was Dostoevsky's last novel And the only reason I have it is because I had a homiletics professor, a preaching professor who said that every preacher ought to read the Brothers Karamazov, and I think about 10% of us did. And if you're ever thinking that you should read it, don't. (laughs) It's long, there are way too many characters, it's slow, like if you have to have a glossary in the front of all the characters so you remember who they all are, that's too many characters. But it's about two brothers. And one who has incredible insight and wisdom about worldly things. And so much so that he can't stop critiquing the world and everything wrong with the world and bad with the world and all the places that faith and people of faith have failed the world, but he has no answer. He has no way forward because he has descended into nihilism himself. And then there's a second brother who has come through his own twists and turns to find faith and hope in God. And at the climax of this story, when they are going back and forth about the meaning of life And while we're all here and the problems of the world, Ivan says to his brother, he says, "'I do not know the answer to the problem of evil, "'but I do know love.'" And the incredible thing about the Brothers Karamazov is that it has every piece of Dostoevsky's life, alcoholism, gambling addiction, extramarital affairs poverty prison the brothers karamazov isn't just a story it's dostoevsky's story and one of the reasons that you that i that we tell our story is to help other people find their story and our story. That's why we are connected when people tell stories, when people share their life with us, because we find in the stories of others our own very story. And God has said to the apostles in Scripture, the thing that I want you to do is tell your story that there is unique beauty and wholeness and healing, not in five-point plans, not in philosophy, but in your story. And if you want to partner with me to change the world, then you start by telling your story. And every one of us has a unique and beautiful story to tell. That is unlike anyone else's story, but will bring healing to others' story. Two months after Theodore Dostoevsky turned in his manuscript for the brothers Karamazov, he was found dead. And when he was found, He had in his lap his most prized possession. It was a gift from a woman in Serbia, his New Testament. And what if you and I can't live with purpose or die in peace? until we have nothing left to say. That you have a story that the people around you desperately need to hear. That God has equipped you in this moment with your life, with a particular story. And our faith is rooted in story. So when the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he gives them the centerpiece of what we do in a gathering, the Eucharist communion, he tells them a story. He says in 1 Corinthians 11, that I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, the story that I passed on to you, that on the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and broke it, saying, this is my blood, this is my body broken for you. And in the same way after the meal, he poured the wine saying, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. Whenever you eat this bread, drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And this very story is our story that gives hope to our lives, the body broken and the blood shed. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.